You are listening to the Hope Fellowship Church Podcast. To find more information about our church and ministries, check out our website at hopeandanderson.com. Now, this week's teaching. I would like to uh, just share with you a couple of things before we begin our teaching and our second part of the book of Jonah together this morning. One, that when you came in today, you received notes as well. And then when you leave, we do have a journal for you to follow along through our teaching along with a reading guide as well through the book of Jonah. And so I'd encourage you to stop by the welcome desk before you leave this morning and grab one of those books as well. So today, Jonah, we're going to finish chapter one together. We stopped at verse three last Sunday morning. And so today we want to continue in this thought about what a surrendered heart looks like. And the thought is today how storms work in our lives. So let me kind of give you a uh, an, uh, sort of a, an update as to where we are. But first, I, ha- I have some notes, and I was going to give them to my wife because I had them laying up here. There you go, babe. I take care of you. There you go. Good deal. <clears throat> and and so we we ended last week with this thought of Jonah running from God. And Jonah has this mandate from God, and you know, we called it the story that we all know but don't know, the book of Jonah. And so he has this mandate from God, and that call is for him to go to Nineveh and to preach to the Ninevites. Well, Nineveh, at this time in history, is the largest city on the planet. It's the largest city on the earth. Plus, it is the capital of Assyria. These Assyrians are the arch enemies of Israel. And they are perhaps some of the most cruelest people on the planet. So, so Jonah says to God, as any good prophet would say to God, absolutely, I'm not going. You know, I'm going somewhere else, right? And I, you always say, well, probably he made that decision because of fear. I don't think so. I think he made that decision because of almost, I would say, almost a hatred for them because of the things that they had done to Israel in the past. So he wanted God to judge them and not redeem them. So he takes a trip down to the to the seashore to a port city by the name of Joppa, and he has a decision. Do I buy a ticket to go to Nineveh, or do I buy a ticket to go to Tarshish? So what does he do? He buys a ticket to go to Tarshish. Tarshish is known by sailors as being the end of the earth. In other words, they thought that the earth was flat, so Tarshish was at the very edge, and you would fall off if you went past that. So he goes as further as he can from God, and he runs from God because he says that the Ninevites are not his responsibility. So here's what I thought as we begin this morning, this thought of how storms work in our life. And that is that removing myself from responsibility, and we've all been there, right? Removing myself from responsibility is to assume that I'm no longer responsible, to remove myself from responsibility is to resume, assume I'm no longer responsible. And that's exactly what Jonah does in our narrative this morning. So well, how do we kind of talk about that for a moment? Well, here's the illustration for a moment. That, you know, you're lying in bed and you hear a crash in a room in the house. Everybody's asleep. It's late at night. And you hear a noise that's unusual. And so the wife looks at her husband and says to her husband, what was that, right? They ask the question, what was that? And the husband, you know, what we realize is that, and to all the men in the room, that that is code. When your wife wakes you in the middle of the night and says, what was that? It's code. What does that mean? 
That means for what? You're the man. Go find out what it is. Right? Isn't that what it means? Regardless of where it is, some ravenous beast that is broken into your home and is going to eat you alive, that you're to go find out what it is because you are the man. Well, what is the man's response usually? And our response is, huh? Right? That's our response. Huh? It's sort of in our vocabulary as men anyway. Huh? What What does that mean? That means really that I actually heard the noise, but I don't want to admit I heard the noise, right? Exactly right. I would ask all men to raise their hand if you've ever done that, but I don't, you know, you don't want to like out yourself right here in front of God and your wife, right? So, yeah, so you, you say, huh, because you've heard the noise, but you don't want to admit that. Is exactly where Jonah is, that to remove myself from the responsibility, I'm no longer responsible, but actually what it's doing is that you're, really, you're not really removing yourself from responsibility, but you are proving yourself to be irresponsible is exactly what that kind of action is. And we bring that thought, we lay it over this story of the book of Jonah this morning, and what we see is God speaks to us. We found that out last week that God speaks to people like Jonah, people like us who struggle with disobedience at times. And so God speaks this to us through scripture, through a sermon. He speaks us through nature or that of through prayer or teaching. And we put our hands over our spiritual ears and we hum and we pretend that we don't hear God's voice in our life because if we don't hear it or we pretend that we don't hear it, then we are no longer responsible for all of that. And that is exactly the story of Jonah. Here is what I want to say to you, which we're going to really just flesh out for us this morning, that God does not allow that kind of behavior to go unchecked. I want you to realize that when it, becomes, when it comes to obedience, God does not allow that kind of behavior in our lives to go unchecked. So, you've made friends with the person next to you. You've greeted them. You know, you've already invited them to go to lunch with you today, right? And so, turn to them and say to them for a moment, God will not allow your disobedience to go unchecked. Say that to them for a moment, will you? Ah. Oh. Some of you are glad you're not sitting next to anyone, right? Because you don't have to say that or them say that to you. I want you to get that in your heart. Because to miss that is to miss what we're going to talk about from the book of Jonah this morning. That God does not allow your disobedience to go unchecked. It, it doesn't happen. That, that just because you say that or pretend that, you don't hear what God is saying to you in your life, doesn't dismiss you from that responsibility. Just as Jonah, he's fleeing to Tarshish away from God, but it doesn't release him from his responsibility to the Ninevites. Understand that. You can't run from the presence of God. We learned that together last Sunday morning. And I think secondly, that God loves Jonah and the Ninevites too much to not confront them confront Jonah in his disobedience and send him to where he has called him to go. And on this journey, you're going to have opportunities to go in the wrong direction. Because we live in a broken world, that's going to happen. You're going to have an opportunity to go to Joppa, to buy a ticket on a ship, to go in a different direction in what God has called you to go in. Here's what I want you to understand. God does not step back in those moments of your disobedience, folds his arms, and just watch you self-destruct and stew in your own juices. That is not the way God works within our lives. We learn that God is in the very details of our life, even when those details are ugly and when they involve disobedience and when they are in those moments of 
sinfulness and they're very messy. God is in the details of every moment of our life. Avoidance is a characteristic of our humanity. Avoidance is not a characteristic of God's deity. Understand that. That God does not avoid. So God is not going to avoid challenging you in a place of your disobedience today. That's what you have to understand. If you miss that, then you will not get any of these verses and what God is saying to your heart. So open your heart to that truth. Verse 4. But the Lord hurled. I love that he used the word hurl there. I have this imagination, you know, and I I love scripture because it's given to us to read with imagination. Not the change, but yet imagination. And so I just picture God reaching down into his celestial pocket. He pulls out a giant storm. He hurls it to earth just for his servant Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the Lord threatened, so that, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone deep into the inner part of the ship. This is important. And he laid down and was fast asleep. So there's two questions today. One is this, how far will your sin take you? That's one question. We're going to deal with that one now. Second one in just a moment. How far will God go to get your attention? How far will your sin take you? I wonder if through all of this storm that Jonah really saw the grace of God working. I really wonder if he did. If he understood this was the grace of God on his behalf. God uses all kinds of angles in Jonah's life. God will, because of his love for you, use all kinds of angles in our life. He uses wind and waves. And he uses even the sailors, the fish For all the purposes of reaching Jonah. So I have a question for you. To write it down perhaps in your note of your Bible. And to reflect on this at a moment this afternoon. How have you seen God's relentless pursuit of your grace in your life? How have you seen God's relentless pursuit of his grace within your life? So here's the scene. You have these pagan sailors, they're up on the deck, and they're having this prayer-a-thon thing going on, right? They're praying to all these different gods. Everybody has a different god, and maybe some of them have two or three of them, for sure, because they're pagans. And they're praying for all these different gods to see if one of those gods is going to pick up the phone, or he's in a good mood, and he's going to answer them, and he's going to save them. So they pulled out all the trinkets, they pulled out all the crystals, they've taken out all their bottles of of holy water that they have ordered from their favorite TV evangelist who gave a $100 donation for it. And I just had to say that because none of that is working, right? None of that is working. Not a thing they do is working. It's like all their gods, every time they call them, they're getting this answer. All gods are busy at this moment assisting all other idolaters. So they're getting nothing. It's silence, right? It is absolute silence on all these gods' part. This is a picture of irony. I think this is important. If you look up in the dictionary, then this scene from the book of Jonah should be there when you would find the word irony. Because what you have is you have on this upper deck, you have, you're having all these pagan sailors having this theological debate to see which God is going to win and calm the storm. And then right below them in the lower part of the ship, you have the theologian. You have God's prophet who has a message just below this discussion on the upper deck. 
So I wrote in my journal this week, you have these pagan sailors trusting lies while truth sleeps just below them. I think that's something that we could think about for a moment. As we look at our own life and how we are called in the world to be light and darkness, that you have these pagans right above the prophet who are debating all these lies, trusting in things that are not real, these false gods, and then you have just below them truth asleep. So the text says that but Jonah, but Jonah had gone down. I, I wanted to single that statement out because we find that in chapter 1 three times. First we, find, well, first, we find that it says that Jonah goes down to Joppa. Secondly, we find it says that Jonah goes down into the ship when he gets on the ship to go to Tarshish. And the third Jonah goes down is we find Jonah where it says that Jonah goes into the innermost part of the ship. Well, when you look at the Bible and the Bible begins to repeat itself, it's for an emphasis. So we understand that God is saying to you and I, listen, you need to hear what I'm saying to you about this area of your life. You need to listen because what this is, this is amazing, amazing imagery of that, of the digression of sin within our lives. Because it says that he fell fast asleep, or he is fast asleep. So I want to tell you that Jonah's not just napping. Jonah's not just resting because he's exhausted from running from God. If you look at the Hebrew for what fast asleep means here, it is called the sleep of death is what it is. It's a powerful imagery of how that of the digression of sin takes place in our life. When I am disobedient and I allow that disobedience to go unchecked and unrepented, this is where it takes me in life. It's an image of the depths that our disobedience will take us is what it is. That Jonah first goes down to Joppa, then he goes into the ship then he goes into the innermost part of the ship so what's the point here's the thought that those small small moments of disobedience in our life those small moments of disobedience if they are left unchecked if they are left unrepented in our lives they will lead to total spiritual disaster is what he's saying he's not just resting Jonah's having a spiritual train wreck in his life. He's escaping or he thinks he's trying to escape God. And maybe you've been there or maybe you are there today. It's the progression, the slow downward progression of sin in my life and your life. Because sin never plateaus. It never does. It never just stays evenly killed in my life or your life. It always takes us to those lower places and those lower moments. There's always this digressing effect of sin within my life and your life. Until we are in the inner part of the ship, headed in the wrong direction, where the sleep of death has come over us. So I thought, how do we talk about that for a moment? I know it's vacation season, right? And you either perhaps are going to the beach, you're thinking about going to the beach, or you wish you were at the beach perhaps, right? So you're going to swim at the beach, and you leave your hotel or your condo, you walk out on the beach, you walk out into the water, and you, you, you just love it. It feels so wonderful. The waves are crashing all around you, and it's just a wonderful experience. And you're enjoying it for a long time out there in the water, and all of a sudden you look up, and you realize that you're no longer in front of your condo, but now you're, 
your 10 condos down the beach from where you were before, right? You ever been there? Yeah, it's because the current has taken you and drifted you that far. That's exactly how disobedience works in my life and your life. That, that what I realize is that adulterous affairs at 45 begin with a pornography addiction in our life at 20. That a rebellious heart at 64 begins with resisting God-given authority at the age of 18. Beware of the rip current of sin. Because it's always a digression in our lives. When you are disobedient to God and you're not quick to repent of that, realize this, that it doesn't, it doesn't negate your responsibility. God loves you enough to hold you accountable and God loves you enough to challenge you in those moments of your life. He will not step back and fold his arms and just look at you and let you self-destruct. He would not be a good God if he treated us that way. Realize that. That this is the way that God works and this is the way that sin works. So if you're going to the beach and you see this flag on the beach, what does that mean? Anybody know? It means run. <laughs> it means swim at your own risk because the current is strong, right? True. So you can go in. What does this flag mean? It means do not swim. Only crazy people do get in the water when this flag is out, correct? Yes. So here's what the book of Jonah is, right? The book of Jonah is a warning for you and I, just like the flag on the beach at summer vacation. It's a warning to you and I, just as it was with Jonah, that God will not allow you to stay in your, your disobedience without challenging you. It's a warning about how sin works in our lives, that you may find yourself in front of the building where you're staying, but if you stay there long enough, you're going to find yourself somewhere down the beach, and that is exactly what sin does to my life and your life. And so, the book of Jonah is a warning to us about that of disobedience, and that the truth is that our obedience to God is a big deal. Realize that. That your obedience to God and listening to God is a huge deal. You see, last week we talked about three impulses because Jonah's decision to go to Tarshish was very impulsive. And the last impulse we talked about was that of how disobedience will cause you to go to a place or do something that you would never recommend anybody to do or to go. And so what we find in the life of Jonah is we find him in that moment. And what I realize about my disobedience is this, that my disobedience is never committed in a vacuum. It is never committed in a vacuum. That our faith is not a private faith. And we say that all the time in this room. And in light of that, neither is our failure in our faith private. You say, what do you mean? What are you trying to say? I think we have this thought about sin sometimes. That sin only affects those that believe that sin is an issue. That sin is a religious thing. That sin only affects church people because church people are the ones that believe in, in sin. But I want to tell you something about this whole 
this whole narrative, if you look at this, what you realize is the pagan sailors, they were pagans and they believed in multiple gods, but they did not believe in the God of Israel. That the pagan sailors find themselves suffering because of Jonah's disobedience to a God that they didn't even believe existed. So what I realize is this, that sin not only affects us and our disobedience not only affects us, but it affects everyone else around us. So I began to put myself in the narrative. And I thought that the storm that was sent to Jonah, it must affected ships all around that area. So it affected others. That the cargo that was thrown overboard, right? That it affected their income, the sailors' income, and their families' income as well. Plus, there was a lot of people that did not get their Amazon Prime packages the next day, correct? And we know for in our culture, that is extremely tragic. It is. Yes, yes. There was the fear and the agony of the sailors. That we have to consider this about this story. That the effects of sin are just as real as sin itself. It is. It doesn't just affect those that believe in it. So children are hurt when parents sin. Churches are hurt when Christians sin. Citizens are hurt when nations sin. Pagan sailors are hurt when a reluctant prophet who is asleep in the inner part of the ship sins. It all seems so unfair, doesn't it? That why are people affected in this world by disobedience to God? And the world is broken, no doubt. And the world is not going to be complete until Christ returns. We understand that. So a lot of this is the effect of the brokenness of the world. But when you and I are disobedient and we sin before and unto God, that it affects others around us. You say, Mark, that is extremely unfair. But God does redeem that. And it's what he says to you and I in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 7. He says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And we're going to see that take place in the nation of, of in the city of Nineveh later on in this text. But I, I think that what we realize is this. It's a moment where we, where we say to ourselves, that yes, I am in disobedience with God. I am running from God right now in my life. But that doesn't have to be the end. That doesn't have to be the way I live my life. That I come to a place where I humble myself before, before God. And I repent before God. And I seek his face. And God will redeem. So where are you? you know, where do you find yourself? Are you on a ship to to Nineveh, to fulfill God's call for your life? Are, are, you, are you believing God and trusting God in this area of obedience in your life? Or are you hiding out in the innermost part of a ship on the way to Tarshish, thinking that somehow you can outrun God? And I want to tell you today that God is a loving God and he will not stand back and fold his arms and watch you self-destruct in your life, but he will challenge you in the area of your disobedience verse 6 so the captain came and said to him what do you mean you sleeper arise go out to your god perhaps the god will give a thought to us that 
we may not perish. And they said unto one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. I mean, go figure, right? It, it falls on Jonah. Like, who, who orchestrated that? Yeah. And then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. It's it is Jonah's theological statement, but I want to talk about that in just a minute. But it's his second question. How far will God go to get your attention? How far? Yes. Have you ever found yourself in a place of, of disobedience and everything was going right in your life until you find yourself in that place of disobedience and everything is seemingly going wrong at that point, right? Here, here's Jonah. He goes, he, he finds, he goes to to Joppa, he just happens to find a ship to Tarshish. Wow, what great opportunity for Jonah. Things are going well. Then there happens to be a seat available on that ship to Tarshish. But it's not just any seat, but it's a first-class seat for him, right? Because it's one of those cool little pods that you see online that they have in airplanes now that you can make a bed and they bring you pajamas and stuff like that, right? Yeah, this is the kind of passage that he has so he's asleep in the innermost part of the ship and so now he's down there and he's enjoying that sleep of death all of a sudden everything is going wrong in his life because he's exposed he's exposed i love how he's exposed he's exposed las vegas style is what he is right yes is exactly right yes they they bring out they bring out and I don't know if I use the right term or not. They bring out the roulette wheel. Is that the wheel that's on the table and you put a ball and it spins around? Is that what that's called? Ah, oh, some of you are willing to say yes. Yeah. See that? That's good. I like that. Yeah, first service, they just sit there and looked at me. And I knew that they were, well, they were just not, they were afraid to say anything, right? So, yes, it is. So they bring out the roulette wheel. Every time they spin, they drop the ball in there. What happens? It falls on Jonah, right? Yes. It falls on him every time. Who caused that to happen like that? Well, I think we know. And it is God's hand working on Jonah's behalf in the middle of his disobedience. It is. So the terrified sailors, they wake him. And what I realize is this, when unrepentant disobedience settles, and I, I think that word, I use that word intentional, when, when unrepentant disobedience settles in our hearts, it causes spiritual blindness in our lives. And I do realize there are moments when we're disobedient to God and we're quick to repent. Yes, that happens. But when we allow this disobedience in our hearts, as Jonah did, to settle deep within his own heart, that it causes spiritual blindness. It causes a spiritual apathy in our life. It creates a moment or a place in our life where we're no longer concerned about the things that are actually important in our life. It creates in us that kind of place because it's evident that Jonah doesn't care. Because between sin... And repentance, if repentance comes, there's frequently a period of 
I think what we would call spiritual dullness. That place in our life where we don't see what's happening in our own life. And that's exactly where where Jonah is. So how far does God go to reach him? How far does God go to reach you in your spiritual dullness this morning? How far? And here it is. God will send a storm. God will send a storm. God sends storms to break you of your self-reliance is what happens. How you are leaning into yourself and depending upon yourself. So God sends storms in our lives to break us of our self-reliance is what it is. I think one of the two things that get our attention in life, one of the two things that get our attention in life spiritually, one is theology, and we should humble ourselves in our theology, realizing that who Christ is and that he is committed, he is committed to the good of our lives. But if theology doesn't humble us, then affliction does. You say, Mark, I didn't realize I was coming on this Sunday, right? You didn't know, did you? No, I didn't tell you what we're going to talk about this week. You could have read this story and say, how do you get anything else but this out of this story? So two things that humble us, theology or affliction. But we find ourselves so many times like Jonah and we're just stubborn. So God sins a storm. So let me talk to you for a moment about something before we go any further. Because I think perhaps some of you are sitting here and you find yourself in a storm and you're asking, what did I do to God, right? You know, why is God so angry with me? And you just can't put your finger on the reason that you're in the storm that you're in. But you're taking this story, you're placing it over your life, and you're saying, oh, I must have done something because I find myself in this storm. When I look at the way God lays this out for all of us this morning, what I realize is that God makes it extremely crystal clear to those pagan sailors why they find themselves in a threatening storm. So I'd say to all of you that are wondering today, if God brings the storm, you will know why. Understand that. If God brings the storm, you will know why. To think anything other than that, we would have to redraw the character of God. And that we would have to see God as being totally punitive. God is always angry with us. And just for any old reason that God sends a storm to our life to somehow make our life miserable. No, God sends a storm to challenge you in the place of your disobedience in him. So because he loves you greatly, he loves these sailors greatly, and he wants to bring you back to him. So what is the purpose of a storm in my life? Storms reveal leaks in our lives. Isn't it perfect that it's raining right now? Yes, it is perfect. I would say that I prayed and asked God to give me that illustration, but that would not be true. But it is absolutely perfect. Because what a storm does, it reveals leaks in my life. Because I can stand in my front yard... And I can look at my roof and I can say, man, that's a great roof. It looks perfect. It is absolutely intact and it is wonderful. But when I get inside my house and there's a storm that arises and a heavy rain comes, then I know the truth about my roof, right? How will I know the truth? 
because I have buckets sitting out everywhere through my house to catch all the drops. You ever been there? Yes, it happens sometimes. But what does it take for me to know that there's a leak in my roof standing in my front yard? No, a storm. This is why God sends storms in our life. And so I would say to you today that if you're thinking, well, all hell is breaking loose in my life today, can I tell you, maybe all heaven is breaking loose in your life. That God is doing a work within you that you cannot do. And you cannot see the work that really needs to be done in your life unless God sends a storm or you're just too hard-headed to repent. I'll be standing in a lobby and you can tell me you love me when you leave the front door, right? Yes. Yes, because it's true. That God is absolutely willing to send that, what you hear, rain in your life, a storm in your life, to reveal the leaks that are in your life so that he can bring you out of that digression of disobedience and sin to bring you back to where he's designed you to be. It's all because he loves you. But I thought also he doesn't just send a a storm, he sends a sinner. Yes, I love this. He not sends a storm, he sends a sinner. In verse 2, or in verse 2 of this chapter 1, we realize that God says to, to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh. But then later on in this same chapter, we have this pagan boat captain who says to Jonah, arise, call out to your God. Same word, one spoken by God and another by a pagan captain of a ship. What I realize is this, God loves you enough to use the voices of unbelievers in your life to call you back to him. This is powerful. It bespeaks of the great love of God. Again, the book of Jonah is not a book about Jonah. It's a book about God. It's revealing God to you and I and how he deals with us in these moments of disobedience. And so he will do whatever it takes to call you back to him. Why? Because of what it says to us in the book of Romans chapter 8. Here's what it says. It says, and we, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We love that verse, right? Yes. For those who are called according to his purpose. But what's the purpose? Why does God make all these things work together for our good? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Listen, I want to tell you what the will of God is for your life. So when you leave this service today, you can never say again with total honesty that you do not know the will of God for your life. You can never say it from this point. If you don't want to know this, put your hands over your ears and go la, 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 la the whole time. And don't listen to me, right? So here is the will of God. It is the will of God to conform you to his image. That's it. You were waiting for something else, didn't you? Yes who to marry, what kind of job you're going to get, all those kinds of things. No, it is the will of God to conform you to his image, to make you more like him. Because here is the truth, that God is most glorified when I am most like him. Understand that. 
that Christ set the model for you and I in the area of obedience as he obeyed his father as the incarnate Christ here on the earth. Thus, he modeled that obedience for you and I so that you and I are obedient to Christ and then obedient to his father. So what I realize is that the will of God is to conform us to his image, to be more like him. Because here's what a storm does. A storm in my life, in your life, reveals all the things that I have trusted in other than God. It strips away all my false comforts. Because when a storm hits, the first ones to abandon the ship are those false gods, our idols. Wow. So here's his theological statement. And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And so what I realized is that I could not move on in this teaching without talking about this statement from Jonah today. Because it's not that the statement is wrong in any way. It's not that. In fact, it encompasses everything that we understand about who Adonai is, who God is. Yes, But it's in the condition of his life when he makes this statement that I want to talk about for a moment with you and I. Because there's this divided loyalty in his life today. There's this divided devotion within his life as we read this out. That's this kind of devotion that we see that permeates uh, Christianity at times as well. Because he's declaring who he is and what he believes and who God is and all the things he knows about God, but yet he refuses to obey his God. Think about that. He makes all the right statements about God, but he refuses to obey him. And I think for A lot of people in this room or online today or wherever you might be that we can sort of regurgitate all the great theological things we know about God and all the truth. And that's exactly what Jonah is doing. But when you are missing the the obedience piece, when you are missing that, then does that make that any more than just words when you say those things? It is You have to have the obedience piece that goes along with that as well. Because if not, the way God sees that is just that it is empty and fraudulent religion is the way he sees it. So why? So this is why this is so important to God, that God does not stand back with his arms crossed, just looking at you while you are working through all this disobedience in your life. God will, God will, listen to this this morning, God will confront you in these areas of disobedience and sin in your life because he loves you. Because he loves you. Oh, don't miss that point because he loves you. Wow. So I grew up in church, you know, I've told you that many times. And and I remember growing up in my grandmother's church and in Sunday school, this has stuck with me for a long time, right? Because, you know, I'm 64, so... This has stuck with me for quite a while that we would sing this little song in Sunday school. 
And I don't remember all the words, but I remember enough to just scar me for life, I think, right? And, and the song sort of goes like this. Um, There's a, a great big eye watching you. You better be careful what you do, right? And this is my image of God, right? That I saw God... God, I, I was afraid of God. Why? Because that song made me think that God looked like Cyclops. Is what he looked like, right? <laughs> that God has this big giant eye in the middle of his forehead. And he's watching me with this laser beam focus for the express purpose of the moments when I am disobedient to come down on me so hard and to just... Make me, grind me into powder because God is punitive in his ways and that's the way God deals with that. So if I instill that fear into, if that fear is instilled in me as a child, then I will always obey God because I will be afraid of him. What the book of Jonah does, it redefines obedience for you and I. And that is that my obedience is fueled out of my love for God because God is a good God, a loving God, a kind God, but God is also a God that will hold you and I to the responsibility of his call upon our life because he is the good father. And if you see him in any other way, if you see him outside of those amazing attributes of God, then you've redrawn God in your own image. And that's always what man has tried to do from the beginning of time. So what does Jonah do? Jonah begins to reflect on God is what he's doing, I think. That's what he's doing. And I think it's, it, it take, it's a moment for you and I to, to reflect on God. For us to take some time, maybe this afternoon, and for you to reflect on God and your area of obedience within your life to God. It's a moment to look at the congruency of our beliefs with our actions and see how those things line up. It's important. So I thought about a verse to share with you this morning as I kind of wind all this together for a moment. It's the book of 1 Corinthians Verse 11, Paul's words to us. And here's what it says. Let a person examine himself. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. You thought, well, I had heard that before. Now I know why I've heard this. I had heard this. This is in communion. But listen, we miss a part because we relegate this just to the Lord's Supper. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But look at verse 31. This is extremely powerful to us in the book of Jonah. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. I underline that. If we would judge ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. But I couldn't get away from this thought. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. And I love this because what he's saying is this. I have to have these moments in my life, even daily these moments in my life, when I sit down and I look at my heart truly for who I am. I realize this is who I am. And I begin to look at these areas and I ask God to point to me any areas of a disobedience with my life and I repent of those things and I bring them to Christ. But I have to have these moments because if I don't look at my life and my heart truly, then I will be subjected to the discipline of God. 
And I realize that that will not win friends and sell books. I do understand that, right? It doesn't. But it's true that I examine myself because what I realize that that the storm and the discipline of God is never his first choice. The storm and the discipline of God is because I have allowed unrepented disobedience to seat deep into my own heart. He says here, Paul says here, so that so that we may be condemned or we may not be condemned along with the world that we call him father but we don't expect him to act like a father in our lives and what does a good father do a good father well i can tell you what a good father does not do a good father never folds his arms and stands back and watches his children self-destruct but he always challenges them in their place of disobedience. So last verses, and this is where we end, verse 10. And Pat's going to come and play. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. I love this part because these these pagan soldiers, pagan sailors who don't even believe in the God that he serves, Jonah serves, are trying to save Jonah's life. So verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O God, O Lord. They're calling Jonah's God, Lord. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. I have to end here because I think there's a big misconception at times of this text. Because you see the sailors who were pagans calling out to their false gods are now calling out to the one true God of Israel, Adonai. So immediately your mind goes, as our little twisted human minds go, right? It doesn't really matter if I obey or disobey God, then God's will is going to be done, and so I'm, I'm good, right? I'm okay. True God is sovereign. God is providential in his ways. And God's will will be done. But in no way is this text a loophole or an out for any of us in this room when it comes to the area of obedience and disobedience in our life. Can I tell you what this text Describes and why it's here theologically. Because it's here in the middle of a storm, in the middle of Jonah's spiritual train wreck, in the middle of pagan sailors who have now come to believe 
in the God of Israel. It's here because this is a story about God, not a story about Jonah. It's a story about the character and the nature of God. It's a story that says to you and I that that he is good when we're not good. That's what it says to us. That God is faithful when we're not faithful is the message. That God is redemptive when we are not redemptive in this life. That God is good at what he does. And that is that of reaching lost pagan sailors even when his prophet is having a crisis of belief. God even works through you and I in those moments of our lives. God still worked through Jonah. But what it says to me as we ended last week with this very same thought, God was not finished with Jonah. God was not finished with Jonah. So what this text does... It adamantly dispels any thought that we have never had of God's complacency with our disobedience. If you take anything away from this before we pray, wrap your mind around that. That your obedience to God is important, it matters. That your disobedience does not just harm you, but it harms everyone else around you. It has very much of a residual effect on those that you're in contact with in life. It tells us that storms are sent in our life by God. Whether you embrace that theology or not but that is the book of Jonah that God hurls a great wind and a storm into the sea why because he is the good father who will never step back from a challenge of conforming you into his image do you see that that God is absolutely for you today and not against you. So why do we run from that kind of God who would love us enough to send that to us, right? And you think our roof looks good. Wait a little while and you might see a leak or two, perhaps. Because... He wants to show you and love those areas in your life that you need to submit to him in order for you to look more like him because you are most pleasing to God when you most look like him. So trust him. Trust him. So does God love me more when I'm getting it all right? No, that's not the case at all. 
Does God love me less because I'm hanging out in the inner part of a ship? I think this story proves and answers that question that no, God does not love you less just because you're running from him. God loves you the same regardless. Regardless. So he meets you where you are at this moment in your life. So why would we not want to be obedient to that kind of God? Because our disobedience causes us to be spiritually blind. But today I'm praying for many of you in the room that God would take whatever is blinding you away and your eyes would be open to the beauty of the Savior and how much He lavishly loves you this morning and what His purpose and intention is for your life to form you into His image. So for a moment, can we pray? If you bow your heads or close your eyes or you sit there silently and you're allowing God to speak to you, however that posture looks for you, is great. just let me pray for you for a moment. Father, we know that the truth that we have talked about this morning is not what the enemy wants us to hear. So we know the tactics of the enemy, God, that he will attempt to paint you in the minds of some of these, some some of your children in this room as a God who is cruel and punitive a God who is just waiting for his creation to mess up again but God what we find in the book of Jonah is the truth of your character and nature that God you are so loving in our life that you will never be complacent when it comes to our disobedience or our sin. You will never step back with your arms folded from us, but you will always extend your arms and embrace to us. So, Father, in this moment, may we have a a revelation of who you are. And it is your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. And so, Father, we have seen that played out in this narrative for us this morning. So, God, remove all the barriers of repentance in this room. God, remove all the excuses and all the preconceived ideas of who you are, God. Let your character and nature shine through to the hearts of those in this room. Holy Spirit, we call upon you to illuminate these texts to us today so that they become so apparent and clear that we cannot deny them. 
And Father, we know that you send storms because you love us. So Father, help us to take those moments to examine our own selves. Repent, submit to you, and learn from where we are in this moment and become more like you in our life. So we love you, Father. You love us so greatly. Work in the hearts of these people in this room this morning. And Father, we give you thanks. Thank you for joining us for this week's teaching. We hope you have a great week.